pretty good segue uh, into John's talk. Um, so yeah, this is this semester we've been going through a lot of um, what we're calling the SPO way, um, and we've just been talking about uh, worship, community, mission, how we're, how we've been called uh, with the liturgical and charismatic spirituality. Uh, and John is going to wrap up uh, the course tonight. Uh, we're talking about a vision for maturity, kind of like what David said, a vision for not just what we're doing here, but how does this affect the whole of the rest of our lives? If college is just great, you had a great four years in college, part of SPO, part of the Newman Center, and then you go off and you don't do anything, then we didn't do our jobs very well. Um, so what we're trying to do is offer um, something that's more, something that's sustainable for the rest of your life. So that doesn't mean if this talk is only applicable to seniors. This is something we start growing in now and start working in now. Um, so we know John. Uh, we love John. Uh, and John also, he put, he put this course together. Uh, so this has kind of been his, uh, his baby uh, this last semester. And I think, <laughs> one, it's been, I think we've all really Brain enjoyed child. this content. Uh, and I know for myself, it's, been, it's really challenging. It's, it's less possessive. Think a lot. So uh, we're just really grateful for John that you uh, took the time to put that together and just all the other things that you're doing. So let's welcome up John. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Joe. I'm going to take stuff out of my pockets so I can feel more free. Yeah. So um, I'm going to start with a question. What, if you stumbled upon a YouTube video, how many views would that video have to have for you to be impressed? <laughs> Gabby knows the story. Yeah, just like, say like, what, like, like 10 million, 50 million, 100 million. Be like, wow, that's a lot of views, right? Can I get a head nod? Yeah, OK. So keep that in mind. All right, so uh, the new thing in our house right now for Ellie is um, Baby Shark. You guys know that song? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she's obsessed. She, has, she already has a very, I kind of, we'll say, obsessive personality. She's a little kid, right? Kids do that stuff. So, like, they do it once, they want to do it 25 times. And you're done after the second time. But you keep doing it. But for her, we also realized, too, with Ellie, like, we didn't really think she could, like, if I was talking to Anna, we didn't really think she was listening because she's usually off in her own world. But now we realize that if we say Baby Shark, she'll, like, point to our Amazon Echo. And be like, now, please, now, now. And we're like, okay, you know what we're saying now. It's terrible. So <laughs> we, we play this song. Anna, how many times a day did you play Baby Shark, probably? Probably 15. 15 in a row? Yeah, it's, that's a lot. It's brutal. But if you go on YouTube and you look at the Baby Shark video, it has... 2.5 billion views. 2.5 billion views. So here's, put that into context. If you count like one number every second to a million, it'll take you about, I think, 11 days. Okay? It's like one, like one two, a million seconds is 11 days. A billion seconds, how long is that? 11 months, yeah. 31 years. <laughs> That's the difference between a million and a billion. I don't think, I, I didn't realize that when I heard that. That's amazing. But that's the difference between a million and a billion. So if you meet a billionaire, it's a lot more impressive than a millionaire. Just keep that, keep that in mind. There's not as many of them. Cool. Uh, so here we go. Uh, maturity, a vision for maturity. So just some context to this talk. I'm going to try to keep us moving pretty quick. I'm going to be throwing out scripture verses. You might be convicted by something, but then I'm already on to the next point. Um, I just encourage you to take notes. Uh, we got some seniors in here for the last time. 
yes, there's going to be some looking forward. This is also a talk that's very applicable to every single one of us where we're at right now. I hope to shift some, uh, some paradigms a little bit. I hope to uh, yeah, that some things in our hearts might be redirected and a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what he calls to would be accomplished tonight. That's what we're going for. Sound good? Okay. So where we're starting, uh, the sower and the seeds, Mark 4. If you have your Bible, feel free. You guys, I'm going to be flipping around a lot, so you guys get to sit back there and judge how fast I can find Scripture verses with one hand. Mark 4. Look at that. That's pretty good. Um, so at where we are in Mark 4, I think context is everything. So Mark, if you've read it, it's, it's one of the more condensed Gospels. Mark freaking moves. Okay, it starts with, like, John the Baptist, like, the Messiah is coming, and then, like, well, then Jesus comes, like, right away, and then, like, he's baptized right away, and then, like, he's in the desert, but now he's, like, getting the disciples together, and then he's, like, doing miracles, and more miracles, putting Pharisees in their place, doing more miracles, and just, like, it freaking moves. There's, like, not even a breath. Like, really, like, we, we start here in Mark 4, and, like, we haven't really taken a breath yet. Like, Jesus' momentum has been built. He had the sermon, kind of Sermon on the Mount stuff happening, miracles, like, he has the crowd's ear. People are like, something's happening, and I'm going to be around this guy. So, so many people are around him, he's going to go into a boat and start talking to him. So, here's what he says to him. It's like, it's like a, in, a, in a way, a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. So, he has the crowd's ear, like, massive crowd, biggest he's ever had. This is what he decides to launch out with. He says, listen, first thing he said, so maybe that's a good thing for us. Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell in rocky ground where it had not much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up, increasing and yielding thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he said, Whoever has ears, let them hear. So we got, we got four options here. The first one's the path where the birds eat it. I'd venture to say none of us here, um, praise God, that didn't happen to us. We're here right now. Some seed has taken root in our lives. So that leaves, count them, three options for us. Okay, we got the rocky ground first. It sprang up at once. There was immediate fruit. Like, hey, that's a, that's a big deal. That's better than expectations. It's exciting. And imagine when the fruit, when you first see a little shoot come up, you're excited. That's a good thing. It's something's happening. But the problem is, uh, it had little substance to take root. Excitement never turned into commitment, right? So it died. And I got a story about this. My first time, well, first time I remember really encountering this uh, was a couple years after college. I was talking to a good friend of mine who was involved in the Catholic Center at Texas A&M called St. Mary's. And she was one of the leaders there involved in, like, gosh, like a laundry list of stuff. She was a leader. She was looked up, she was looked up to. Probably had her weekly adoration hour, like, like, committed to daily mass. Like, I looked up to this girl. She was, like, running after the Lord. And I was like, that's, that's an impressive pace. And I uh, talked to her a couple years after college, and she was, the conversation got to some point where she was saying how she's, like, not really going to mass every Sunday. And, like, my jaw hit the floor. Like, I was like, what? Like, you were, like, doing it. Like, you had it. What happened? That was the first time in my life I realized, like, it can happen to anybody. The sun can scorch any of us. We're not, I'm not, like, I'm not immune to that. Right? If I think I'm immune to this, that's my ego saying, saying that. And like ego, guys, is our enemy. So, two, the thorns. This is the worldly anxieties, right? The lure of riches. To you seniors, 
Get ready for some more thorns. You thought you saw them in college. But the lure of security, right? My way. Like the lure of, well, my way to holiness instead of God's way for my holiness. Right? These are all thorns. Anxiety about what it might look like to give God everything. That can choke away the seed in us. All these things can choke out this life. Um, i got a couple examples here. I have a buddy um, from uh, Texas State. He actually served as a missionary for, for a bit of time with a ministry organization we all know. And he, uh, he ended his time. He actually got cancer, beat cancer. Uh, in the midst of that, found a girl, started dating her. They moved in together. Um, they got married. And then just this week, actually, a few days ago, I get a text from him saying, like, like I knew he wasn't doing great. We have been texting on and off. But he t- texted me this week saying, like, dude, I think I'm probably going to look at a divorce. Like, this guy's 29 years old. You know? And, like, he was, like, he was doing it. In college, he was a leader. He was a leader bringing other people to the Lord. And then, like, he, he started living his life, and it's like the anxieties were choking him. And he lost it. He lost something. He didn't, like, there's something missing there. Like, his life isn't, he's, he's texting me about how he's not feeling purpose in life. Like, he's lost the fruit of his life, and he experiences that, and something's wrong. Um, last option, the good soil. The seed hits the good so- soil. It produces fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And what I want to say is good soil is fertilized, is it not? Yeah. What I want to say for this talk, launching into it, let the fertilizer of our hearts this night be humility. Okay? Like, again, like, I don't, like, some of us here are like, you're on the right path. Like, God's doing stuff. Awesome. Praise God. And I'm not here to scare anybody either. I'm here to, I'm here to give us a little bit of reality. But also the fact is the Lord is here right now. And if we're humble and we let him speak to us, he's going to move. Amen? Amen? So that's where we're going. So our destiny, I think it's on your sheets, immense fruitfulness is our destiny. Does it say that on there? Yes. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's, our, that's what he promises us. He says 30, 60, or 100-fold. That's unheard of. That's a big return on investment. 30, 60, or 100-fold. I love that. So if immense fruitfulness is our destiny, do we see that everywhere? I'm asking, do, do we see that? Do we see immense fruitfulness in all Christians' lives? I don't think so. So what, what gives? Is that, is that God's fault? Is he holding out on us? I don't think so. I think it's probably something with us, right? So, Jesus, Jesus talks about it. Jesus talks about immense fruitfulness. And then now we're moving to John 15. Some of you guys already know where I'm going here. One-handed flipping. So, John 15 is Jesus talking about, it's the Last Supper discourse, talking about the vine. Um, John 15, let's try 7. Here it is, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And then later it says, By this is my Father glorified. That's a provocative statement. And what's next? By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. Jesus is intensely interested in fruit. 
And this isn't like a fruitfulness where like, you know, your names are in lights because you're a great Christian speaker, which is fine. But that's not, that's not what we're talking about. It's not this flashy fruit. Like that, that comes, great, praise God. You know, if like people hear your name like, oh, I love that person. Like, okay, <laughs> that happens, sure, whatever. But this fruitfulness we're talking about, guys, is an interior fruitfulness Amen. that spills out and impacts other people, right? It's first an interior overflow of knowing the Lord, who he is, what he says about us, and then allowing that security to overflow in our lives. That's what we're talking about when we say fruitfulness. I think we're Americans. We think fruitfulness, we think results. Like America, industry, right? Push it forward. Make it, that's, that's not exactly what's happening here. But it's interesting. What you, look, you, read, you read, well, let's just read the straight words. I'm going to say read between the lines, but it's not in between the lines. It's right in front of our face. He says, he says I, am the van, you're the, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That's a relational call right there. That's like calling us to a relationship with a person, right? That's what's, that's what's going on here. Jesus is calling us to a relationship with an actual person. Jesus doesn't give us 10 easy steps. He gives us himself. What's, what's the rub? The rub is it's actually a lot easier for us to like take the test and make the grade than it is to be in a relationship with somebody, right? Here's what I mean. Um, so Joe's an engineer. We'll stick with engineering. So what would be easier to be a good engineer if you're in college? Would it be to like take your tests, do your projects? Or what if you had the option to like actually getting to know your professors and like spending time with them? And like, yeah, on one end you got like, not saying one's better than the other, but like think about it. Like, okay, but what about, what about you're out of college, you're magging next job, you're gonna go to work somewhere great, you go to your new office, is it easier just to like stay at your desk and do your work? Or actually like get to know your coworkers, or maybe your boss even, and start a relationship there. Well, what might happen? What would happen is you might get to know them. You might learn more about the job, right? You might get to know their family, what makes them tick. They might start dropping some knowledge bombs on you. You might see how they go about their day. You might learn some things. But you stay over here, what you're doing is you're just kind of staying narrow. You're just making the grade. You're taking the test. They might do your performance review and be like, hey, you did your job great, but there's nothing, there's kind of a ceiling there. You guys following me? So, again, I think, I think we can tend to the test. We can tend to the safety, and the relationship is something that kind of draws us into deeper waters, and it's scary because it demands more from us. I think, yeah, okay. So the problem is Jesus actually isn't interested in the grade. And don't, don't mishear me. So we're, we're, I'm going to explain that. But Jesus actually isn't interested in the grade. He's interested in the relationship. The, John 15 doesn't talk about, like, he doesn't say, hey, take the test, get the right answers, and then you'll have much fruit. He says, abide in me. He says, come on, let's do this together. Then we're going to get some fruit together. That's how this works. Amen. One for the other. So here's the thing. Jesus is not interested in the grade. He's interested in the relationship. The Pharisees were amazing at the grade. Right? So there was a time in college, guys, when I, the Lord was like kind of, I was praying and I was reading scripture a lot, and the Lord was like kind of bringing me to the Pharisees over and over again. I was like, yeah, those stupid Pharisees. I know, God. <laughs> they screwed it up again. And like, it was kind of like halfway through this, the Lord kind of pointed me like, no, no, John, like, you're the Pharisee. <laughs> and like, not in an accusatory way, which that sounded like, but it was kind of like, it was like, it was an eye-opening way of like, hey, like, 
I want to save you from this. Like your whole life, you as, as like a believing zealous Christian, like you're gonna, you're gonna, this is going to be a temptation for you. To say you're doing the right things and checking the right boxes. And you're going to forget about the relationship side of things. Mm-hmm. That's going to be left to the side. But you're going to crush it in this area and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna lose it here. And that's what the Pharisees were, guys. So these were like, they were the example. Like, okay, think of someone today, like, attends daily mass every day, prays the rosary every day, divine mercy chaplet, like, literally checks off every box, which are all incredibly powerful things. The Pharisees were also doing really good things. Think about it. The Pharisees were following the law down to the T. And the law was what God, the same God we worship, gave them, saying, like, hey, if you want to be in a relationship with me, do these things, and it's going to work. And they're like, sweet, thanks for the test. I'm going to take this test. They forgot that the point of the test is to be in a relationship with God. Right? They kind of forgot that part. They, they, they thought that the, the rules were their basis for the relationship, not like the God who loved them was the basis for a relationship. Right? So that's going to happen to us. We can do all these great things and we forget the basis of the relationship. The point of these great things is to launch us into a relationship with a person, a living person who loves us and wants to go deeper and wants our roots to grow deeper in our life. So again, the Pharisees, sparkling clean. They were the example. They were the professional, Christ, professional religious people of the time. They prayed the right, right way. They cleaned everything the right way. They spoke the right way. They wore the right thing. Um, they were obsessed by setting the example. But the thing is, Jesus warned against them. And if they would have heard this, they would have been like, I guess I hear you, Lord, but like, I'm trying to be like that guy, kind of. Because all the disciples were Pharisee rejects in a way. Like they weren't, how, how old uh, Jewish society worked was between the ages of like zero and six, I think you like memorized the, uh, the Torah, you know? And that was, and once you did well at that, then you, six to like, I don't know, 11, we'll say, you like memorized the rest of the Old Testament. And if you crushed it there, then like 11 to 15, I don't know what the next challenge was, but around 15, I do know that it was a time where you could actually be like welcomed in by a rabbi and be apprenticed by him. And all, all the disciples, they were fishers. What does that mean? They didn't make the cut. They weren't smart enough. So like, like they, in some ways, they would have like, kind of idolized the Pharisees. Like, those guys did it. They're better than me. And they had better character because they did the right things. And like, they, they said all the right, they, their character, their discipline, it was like off the charts. But Jesus warned against them. So that would have been weird to them. So Jesus, woe, he says, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That's what Jesus told the disciples um, when they crossed the sea. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What is leaven? You guys heard leaven before. Leaven is yeast, right? And you put it into bread, and it makes the bread rise, right? We've done that before. So leaven is used in Scripture oftentimes to, among other things, but to symbolize something very small making a large difference. Leaven is the difference between a pancake and a loaf of bread, right? So... What is, what is Jesus alluding to? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What's this little thing that makes a huge difference? Any guesses? Ego. He, he goes good. I think that was certainly a byproduct of it. I think at the heart of it, it was the relationship. Yeah. Right? They crushed it on the rules. They didn't realize the rules were supposed to launch them into the relationship. And really, the relationship is what started it. Let's be real. Who here, God, God chose each of you first, right? Thank you. God chose you first. You didn't choose him first. So when we say, God, you owe me, 
we, we got it backwards. And in some ways, the Pharisees, and I don't want to speak for them, but my understanding of them, how they're portrayed in Scripture, is they probably had a little bit of that attitude, like, I'm doing it. I'm cool with God because I crush it on these rules. But the great thing about the Pharisees, guys, is actually they were really close. And I think Jesus talked about them so much is because he had a heart for them. They were really close. And they're, they're about, some scholars say like 24, some say closer to seven different sects of Judaism in that time. You've heard of the Sadducees, you know? There's like Essenes or something like that too. There's a few others. But the Pharisees were actually like most down the middle as far as like even like some like Judeo-Christian beliefs we have now. The Pharisees like had a proper understanding of life after death, free will. They had a good balance of predestination. Like they kind of like understood a lot of things really well. And so Jesus had a heart for him. And think of it. Can you guys name a couple maybe Pharisees who converted? Paul. Nicodemus. Yeah, boom. You guys are great. So Paul. Well, Nicodemus. When did Nicodemus convert? Well, he was, he was the guy under the fig tree, right? Jesus had a personal relationship with him. Jesus knew him. He experienced that knowledge, and he left. He followed the Lord. Paul. Damascus. He knew God. He saw that God knew him. Relationship changed. Joseph of Arimathea was profoundly affected by Jesus, so much so that he was speaking up in the councils, the Jewish councils, when they were putting Jesus to death. And he, he was a guy who had the cojones to go and ask Pontius Pilate for his body to take him down off the cross, which would have been a very public act for a Pharisee to do. Like, his reputation done. So, there's something wrong with the Pharisees' heart. Pharisees versus Jesus. Jesus calls them, he says, he calls them whitewashed tombs. You guys know that, right? He calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. And you know what that is? That's the outside looks great, the interior's messed up. What's, what's the Christian, what's, how did Jesus redeem that? Ezekiel 36 stuff we talked about before, right? I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. So it's God's Holy Spirit transforming our hearts building roots of security in us. He calls them a brood of vipers. That's something attacking, always judging, ripping on other people. What's the opposite of that? Laying down one's life for one's friends. Walking with people who are hurting. Like, sister, who condemns you? That kind of stuff. He, call, he, he condemns them for laying heavy burdens on people's shoulders and not lifting a finger to help them. Right? You guys, you know, Jesus says that. So, yeah, they lay up all these heavy burdens. Hey, you got to do this, got to do this. And like, yeah, go figure it out. Good luck. What's the opposite of that? Being nailed to the cross. That's lifting a finger. That's putting it all on the line for the sake of someone else. That's how Jesus redeemed this empty, shallow, pharisaical heart. And he does that through himself. Not rules-based, but relationship-based. It's the transforming power of relationships. So... The Lord wants to form us into true disciples. Amen? Amen. That's, we're tracking. The key to that is this relationship. So, let's see, I want to go here. This, this relationship, guys, remember, remember the tree? Remember the tree we drew? It's like all the way back to like the formation retreat, even before that, actually. So, on the bottom, we got our roots. Right? We got our trunk and we have like the tree part. Okay? The roots, you guys remember what the roots symbolize? Security, yeah. 
The roots are security, the trunk is maturity, and then the tree is purity, right? And so a healthy tree has strong roots, security, which gives rise to strong trunk, maturity, and then that's going to allow us to have good fruit, which is purity. And what I want to say to today is this relationship is what allows us to have real roots because the relationship doesn't change. Because when we screw up, we know that God's still there. He's not screwing up. He's right there with us. So when we do screw up, we can come right back to him and reestablish, re-acknowledge that he never left, that I left. And that grows the roots deeper. And so when those roots are deeper, then it can start to give rise to the trunk, which is maturity, which actually in some ways, like on a human level, the Pharisees crushed it at, right? Discipline, like character, like insanely good. But the problem is their roots weren't there. And that led to rotten fruit. So that's why I'm talking about this security. It has to be this relationship. So this means that when we have these roots, brothers and sisters, it means we follow the way of the master because we know his voice and we know he has our back. It means we don't actually follow our ways, pleasures, pursuits, but rather our lives. We want to pour out our lives for him because we realize that he's poured out our life for me. and I've experienced that and I want to pour out my life for him. So we want to give everything to the Lord. But the problem is we also want to kind of keep everything for ourselves. That's, that's, that's the tension in our lives, right? We talked about that with the, with the thorns. So we declare Jesus Lord of everything, but actually what we really mean, we want to give him everything, but we want to shape it into like the lifestyle that I want to live. You know, like the way I grew up. That's what I envision my life looking like. Who I spend my time with. My vocational discernment. Um, thinking someone else will do the hard thing. Or the small thing like the dishes, like, ah, it's someone else's job. Like, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, but, like, you, you got to sign off on my plan in these areas because I don't really know if you have a plan for me. Like, I'll ask you, but I won't give it to you, you know? There's a difference there. So we make exceptions by holding on to these things because we say, like, hey, we're Christians, and we're not, like, getting drunk every weekend. We're not, we're not the ones hooking up, right? But that's... That's a low bar. That's a low bar. And I think it misses the entire point, which is the point is relationship. The point is walking with the Lord. Have I made that clear? Goodness. Jeez. All right, we're going to keep rolling here. What time? Good. So the Lord doesn't want us to do certain things. He wants to make us a new person. I'm going to say that again. The Lord doesn't want us to do certain things. He wants to make us a new person. That's the whole point, right? That's Ezekiel 36 stuff. So let's go back to the tree. We, the, the, we, I think we established the roots. Jeez, yeah. I think I said enough about that. Um, let's look at the trunk a little bit now. Let's look at the maturity. What is, what's, what's the vision for that? I want to start so, so strongly on the roots because the trunk doesn't make any sense without the roots. And talking about it would just be like a clanging gong and it'd be pretty, pretty hard to get, get around. So, Scripture says, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Big call. Perfect. The word perfect used here is the Greek word teleos. And it's translated here as perfect. And what, what they mean by that is Jesus is kind of pointing to like the high ideal for us, right? Like he actually doesn't think you're going to like become perfect in this life. But he's saying you should strive for that. Like go for it. And it's not necessarily like the bar you have to reach, but it's, it's the high ideal to strive for. And the word here, teleos, is talking about something that's flawless, right? are not able to be improved upon. It's like, it's the ideal. So 
The word teleos also in scripture actually is translated mature. Do you guys know that? And it's, it's, this is, this is kind of tricky. So make sure you're listening. Um, Paul uses the word teleos when he says, let those who are mature adopt this mindset. And again, in Ephesians, he says, growing in unity of faith to maturity. So what he's saying here is actually like a present reality as well. He's saying like, hey, like if you're mature, have this attitude. So it's teleos is this like future thing of perfection. But it's also this present reality of you, something attainable and achievable now. You guys, you, guys, you guys follow on that? So that's important. It's really important. So I can say something like, I'm a mature adult, right? And it's a present reality. I would say that, like, Jesus Christ is more mature than me. A high ideal, right? Present, future. So teleos is a fascinating word in the Christian life. So the exhortation to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect refers to a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. This would have been shocking and intimidating to hear. But this kind of righteousness, this high ideal, requires the transforming power of God. This, this ideal requires the transforming power of God. It's, it demands that we become perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So we can't make ourselves mature without this deep root of security, without God's first initial gift, yeah. right? Without first acknowledging, Lord, you found me first. God, I'm here because you chose me and you're doing stuff. And I want to say yes to more of you doing stuff in my life. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to make that happen. So how do we become mature? We're rolling here. The rich young man. Okay, I'm doing the Matthew 19 version. I think it's the one I wanted. How do we become mature? I love the rich young man because this is, this is all of our stories. Um, and behold, one came up to him saying, Teacher, what good, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? It's a good question. He said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? One there is who is good. It's a weird translation. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. To be honest, this guy was doing all these commandments. Like, he didn't need to ask the question, which one? So I imagine that question was a little bit, like, self-congratulatory. Like, just go ahead and say some of the commandments, and I'll tell you that I did them, you know? <laughs> Maybe. I'm not in this guy's head, but that's what it sounds like. The young man said to him, hey, all of these I've observed from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, if you would be teleos, go, sow what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. The rich young man was doing it. He was making the grade. Do you guys do all those commandments? Do you always love your neighbors yourself? I don't know. I don't. I have some area to grow there. Like, so he's better than you in the grade. He's getting a better grade in the test, right? And he went to Jesus and said, hey, what do I got to do? And Jesus said, uh, are you making the grade? And he's like, yep, doing stuff. He's like, okay. Uh, do you want to be perfect? Sell what you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. And interesting about the perfect thing in here. It's actually not 
it, it, like if, if he would have sold everything he had at that moment, it was Jesus saying that he would be like, like God, he'd be perfect. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is actually he would be mature, Amen. is what he was saying. He was saying his orientation of his life would shift in that moment, that he would be on a different path. That's what Jesus meant when he used teleos here. If you would be perfect, sell what you have and then come follow me. Because if you do that, the entire orientation of your life will change. It will open up. I think we experienced some of this in household, for those who live in household. Joe, can you get my water? It's on the table back there. Thanks. We experienced some of this in household. Like, you can, you can make the grade in household. You can show up to every dinner. You can do every morning prayer. But there's a different way of diving into it, right? That can change your orientation of how you approach it. Thanks, dude. So, I mean, this is, a, this is a tough story, right? Like, the guy was, the guy, like, Jesus is hard on this guy, but let's be real, he was doing pretty well. And Jesus just, like, stomps on his party. He was probably hoping, like, I think, it, I, think I love his story because, like, he sensed something was off. He was doing all the right things. He didn't know what was off. Maybe that's you in the crowd right now tonight. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm, like, been trying, but, like, something's rubbing me. Like, I'm involved. I'm, like, reading a Bible study. I'm, like, you know, maybe applying to household next year. But, like, I just, like, sense there's more. God, what is it? Do I need to check off more boxes? Do I need to do more things? Jesus didn't say do more commandments. He invited him to a relationship with the person. He invited him to leave something behind to say yes, to change the trajectory of his life. So the upward call is his laying all at Jesus' feet. So what's the difference between the rich young man and the disciples? Because the disciples have the same call, did they not? Hey, drop everything, follow me. It's exactly what he said to the disciples. So this isn't in scripture. <clears throat> so, so I lay this before you humbly. But Jesus, like, Jesus had friends. He was 30 years old when he started his public ministry. Before that, he was most likely living in his father's, father's home. And uh, he didn't sit around playing video games all day. He like, interacted with people. And he was actually kind of famous at the age of 15 when he could have been a rabbi. You hear about when he get, uh, when, uh he was younger than 15, he was 11. But he was in the temple, right? And people were like, this guy gets it, right? The Pharisees were saying that. Like, this guy is going places. They're probably fighting over him to be his disciple. So Jesus was known in the Jewish community as someone who was bright. But for some reason, he chose to stay in his father's house. Prestige left him, and they thought he was irrelevant. But he would have had friends who would have respected him. Maybe some other rabbi dropouts, like Peter, right? So when Jesus comes and says, hey, man, I'm doing this thing now, Peter's like, let's go. I'm in. Where are we going? I'll drop everything. James and John leave their dad in the boat. Because they were waiting for this moment. Jesus says, hey, let's go. And they were on it. They were ready. They were going. And the rich young man wasn't ready. He just goes up to Jesus saying, like, I'm doing pretty well. What do I got to do? And he's like, you just got to leave everything. And he's like, can't do that. I'll see you later. And walks away sad. And so the Lord in our lives right now, guys, he's, he's working. If we allow him, if we turn to him, if we dig into him to deepen our roots, this relationship, to walk with us. I don't know if everyone here has a crazy call to leave everything and follow the Lord right now. In fact, I'd say all of you, like every single person in this room doesn't have a crazy call like that to drop out of school and Right? But he does have particular calls, small daily ones today that you can say yes to because he's going to have a big one for you later. I promise you that. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not designing that. But I promise you there's going to be an opportunity where he invites. It's our 
privilege right now to walk with him and to, to understand him, his language, how he works, how he thinks, his heart. He wants to share that all with us as we walk with him. And if we miss out on that, when the call comes, we're going to miss it. We're going to walk away sad. And I love this too. Um, this, I talked about how this, his orientation of his life changed. In some ways, he like, he, he, the invitation to him was an invitation to maturity in a way. Uh, it, it couldn't have come by saying, hey, if you just like, agree with what I say, then you're good. But he said, you have, to, you have to do something concrete and visible. That was the call in front of the rich young man. It was something concrete and visible. It wasn't just, hey, if you feel like you're committed to me, you're good. Um, it was this consequential action that God worked through. Give yourself entirely to my kingdom, to me and my kingdom, and do so in actions, not just in words. That was the invitation. So spiritual maturity, brothers and sisters, is like Everest base camp. Who knows how tall Mount Everest is? What is it? 20. 28. It's 29,000 feet. Not that many miles. I'd be pretty sure that's the moon. That's not true. Um, so... Everest is 29,000 feet. Who knows how high base camp is? I looked it up today, so I know. 17. <laughs> I'd be really impressed if you knew that. Everest base camp is 17,000. 29 is Everest. Um, like, the tallest mountains in the Rockies, like, some of the tallest where I go are, like, 14ers. They're like, oh, have you climbed a 14er? Well, Everest base camp is 17,000. So there goes your 14er, right? But the thing about base camp is, base camp sounds like base camp, womp, womp. But it's actually, like, a pretty prestigious place to go, to be in, right? Because from base camp, you can launch ex, ex, exhibitions up to the summit, right? Yeah. And actually how it works from the summit, really quick, is you like, how you acclimate is there's like four camps along the way to the summit of Everest. And so from base camp, you go up to one, back down same day. You go up again, back down same day. And like, you like have days of rest in between. And these are really grueling hikes. But then like your third exhibition, you go up to the second base camp, spend the night there, go all the way down. And then you go up to the third base camp, you spend the night, you go all the way down. And like, by this point, you've already gone through this portion like six or seven times. And then how you, get, how you get up to a summit is you go up, you spend the night, you try to summit really fast, and you get down on one day. You summit at like 8 a.m. So you wake up at like midnight. Which you guys, I think there's a spoiler bear game at midnight. That's when people are waking up to climb Everest. So think about that. <laughs> so this spiritual maturity, is, it's, this, it's a place that we can keep coming back to. It's a base camp for us. Right? And it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a bar, if you will. It's something we can strive to reach. And then when we get there, we can actually like always kind of like we can grow from there. Does that make sense? So that's, that's a vision for maturity for us. So um, example of this. I asked Jeff Kroc. You guys, some of you guys know Jeff Kroc. I think I read this at one of the prayer meetings. Yeah. He is a dude. Uh, talk about some concrete, visible action. This is, this is how he puts words to it. I asked Jeff, where did God surprise you during your college years? He said, literally everything. Nothing has been as expected in my life since I started living for the Lord. Everyone has a plan for their college years, and 99% of the time it's not hashtag God's plan. He says, says, if you're in school and you feel like you're following the plan you laid out when you were a freshman, you should probably check yourself. Devoid of relationship, this sounds like a weird missionary plug. That's not what this is. This is these are Jeff Crock's words. A man who actually... The rich young man heard the call from the Lord and, and went all in. The particular call in his life 
was to drop, was not to pursue the crazy good major. I think he was a STEM major or something. Um, he eventually graduated communications, but I think his sophomore year he was like STEM. And he, he's changed that. Went on, went on, heard the call from the Lord, went all in, and now he's serving in Arizona, holding down a chapter there in a time of turmoil. Changing people's lives. So that was his particular call, and that's how he went in, and that's how he's talking about it now. He says, nothing in my life has been expected since I started living for the Lord. And that's not a defeated statement. That's a victorious statement. That's a statement if you heard him say it, you see his eyes light up. So, yeah, brothers and sisters, we can't become teleos. We can't become mature by making the grade. We become mature when our roots are deep, and we respond wholeheartedly to the call of the Lord places in our life. In action. Because that's where this immense fruitfulness comes from. When we respond generously, wholeheartedly to what the Lord has for us. So in SPO, we're about immense fruitfulness. Amen? Amen. That's like Joe said. We're about the long haul. Like, we don't want to have... If this was just a nice, fun college experience for you, like, I'm sorry, you missed something. Right? The hope is that this carries on. I would have loved to have been at that conversation in Malta tonight. Um, but this is, this is how we get there. I'm going to do a little bit of recap here. I should have chugged water before I got up here. All right, we're going to go super fast. Um, the first thing is the foundation of true worship. That's where we started this semester, is it not? We started with worship. Joe got up here and preached it, because that's the security. Worship is where we learn who God is and what he says about us. When we worship God for who he is, he reveals himself to us. And yeah, it's worship in prayer meetings today, but that's worship in our daily prayer. It's worship in mass, in sacraments. God reveals himself to us in worship. He pulls pulls the veil. So God is love, 1 John. 1 John 4, if you want to write that down. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. There is no fear in love, but perfect teleos, love, casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever has fear has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Um, God's love poured into our hearts. That's where it starts. That's where we started with worship. Because that's where we go before God and say, God, you chose me. I was nothing. While, excuse me, while I was a sinner, you died for me. While I deserved it the least, you found me. My resume means nothing to you, but you love me because you created me and you died for me. And you have a glorious vision for my life. I praise you because you blow my mind consistently. God, you are greater, and we just we speak out who he is, right? And we're wrapped up into that. Our minds are taken off ourselves onto him, and we, the Holy Spirit reaches us in that space and communicates God to us. That's what happens in worship. That's the foundation. That's security. That's why we started there. Two, why do we do that? So we can make a magnanimous surrender of our lives in worship. So when we experience that, what, what happens? We, just, we, we offer our lives to the Lord. And when we're more generous in worship, we're actually more generous in how we live. And then our generosity in our life and our response to the Lord and saying yes to him goes back to our worship and elevates that. And they're connected. Brother Clinton was talking about this towards the end, but because how we worship connects how we live, and how we live feeds into how we worship. So that's the magnanimous surrender that Brother Clinton talked about, right? And then where we go from there, we go from there to being, become rooted in sacred scripture and ongoing transformation, right? This charismatic element and this, this liturgical element. This liturgical element, like talked about, was wrapped up in the scriptures, right? That's God's word, God's bread for us. And we read how important that was. And then how that translates to the sacraments as well, being fed there, right? 
and being transformed. So what happens when we do this and we have this ongoing transformation is our mind starts to shift for our daily life. James 1, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance be perfect, teleos, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, this isn't a perfect one day, like, in heaven. This is, this is a more immediate perfect. This is a maturity that can be achieved here and now by being obedient, considering trials all joy. And that, brothers and sisters, is countercultural. When people see something difficult coming upon you, and you know that God's got this, and you start praising him, Something's, something's up. People notice. But that's, that's what happens when we're rooted in Scripture. And this ongoing transformation is our minds change, our hearts change, our view of reality changes. James shows that it's by persevering through trials with God and allowing him to use those trials to change us is that we become mature and whole. I'll read that again. It is by persevering through these trials with God and, and allowing God to use them to change us that we become mature and whole. So the next thing, what happens is when we start to live this way, we become more free to run after the Lord. This is Philippians 3 stuff here. Paul talking. Um, gosh, I don't have it here. i got to flip to it. It's too good. This Bible's really small, so trying to find epistles that are like three pages is... Oh, boom, there we go. It is not that I have already attained this Oh, here we go. So whatever gain I had, I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness on my own based on the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is a testimony of a man who has been running after the Lord. There's an intimacy and a closeness in these words that's just dripping off of them. If you just sit with these, you can experience the, the surge of his heart as he writes these. All he wants is Jesus. Every single resume or test he had is nothing to him as long as he can just be associated with Jesus and to know his death and resurrection. Amen. Right? And that's what Paul's talking about here. This is a man who's been victorious in laboring with the Lord, yes. living his life on the front lines, his entire life devoted to the front lines. Who's he going to reach? Who's he going to love? God, how do you want to use me today? Not a man who retreated, but a man who pushed forward. And because he pushed forward, he experienced that closeness. His life on the front lines opened up new horizons to his life. That's why we talked about that. And then we, once, once we're experiencing that closeness, we can actually start to participate in God's cosmic plan. The whole point that Jesus came, right? Because Jesus came, he broke into the world in a new way. He lived a particular way of life. He lived a perfect life. He tossed the truth about God, and he died on the cross. He rose again. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to make a community of believers who could experience him, know him, and live in community together, and then that they could share in the mission of transforming the world to make it more like the kingdom, right? That's God's cosmic plan. It's this community that he built to impact the world. That's what Andrew talked about, a transformational community. God's cosmic plan is that we would participate in this community, a community of disciples on mission, This flies in the face of a self-focused American spirituality. This is a communal endeavor, and we're going after it together. We're landing the plane here. I love Andrew's phrase, communion is king, right? Communion is king. 
So relationships and environments of faith are actually the primary way in which we experience the Lord's formation. Relationships with each other and environments of faith are how we're built up into mature disciples. That's that transformational community. Yes, it's transformational for us, but it's transformational because we're bringing other people into it as well, and they're experiencing that, and they're having their hearts shifted. Here's the last thing. The point of all this is so we could prove ourselves to be mature Christians and how we run after the Lord and so that our lives could bear much fruit. That's, that's kind of the, the ending point. That's the landing point we're at right now. So that we could bear much fruit. It doesn't mean we're perfect in the sense of like ultimate like perfection, although we're striving for that, but it means more that there's a maturity to us. There's a maturity in our relationships with each other. Is there, like, the, the epistles are littered. Paul is talking consistently about how to be brothers and sisters. What does it mean to be a community? Like, tame the tongue. Stop talking poorly about each other. Are you complaining about another believer? You're not mature enough yet. Like, are you reconciled? Go reconcile with them. Like, the community is so important to maturity, and Paul nails that home. And we can reach that, brothers and sisters, together. And the community, the rub, together can form us. A brother can call us out when we're not mature. Say, hey, I think, I think the Lord might have something more for you here. I think you settled in that situation. And someone who loves us and we have a relationship with, can, we can hear that from them. And we can say, you know what, you're right. Can you pray with me? And then we're moving. We're moving up the mountain. Right? The attitude of maturity. If I had to sum it up in one scripture verse, which is really bold and maybe reckless. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Laying down our life is the attitude of maturity. That's what the Lord wants to meet us. That's what he wants to do. Music team, you can go on and get up there. Um, brothers and sisters, laying down our life for our friends is where intense fruitfulness comes. That's when we start to see it. I mean, it starts in the foundation, right? It starts with the Lord. And the Lord's going to meet us in worship tonight. And he's going to grow those roots deeper. He's going to offer us a choice. Maybe a concrete, visible choice tonight. Maybe that's where he's at. I don't know. But that concrete, visible choice is going to change something about the orientation and direction of our lives. It's going to elevate us. And notice we haven't even been talking about the fruit much recently here. Because the fruit just happens. When we're open with the Lord, when we're following him, when relationship's secure, the fruit just happens. It grows. Intense fruitfulness, a hundredfold kind of fruitfulness is what's promised to us. So brothers and sisters, what I want to say is, gosh, for you seniors, like this isn't, this isn't the end of something. This is the beginning of something, right? This is like a lifelong process. And uh, you got people here, you got friends that are going to walk with you on the way. They're going to take you the rest of the way. For those of you who this isn't the last time, you have an opportunity to really dive in these last few years. I don't know what the Lord's calling you to. It's kind of the point of these last five months for you to discern that. But if this is the group, let's go for it together. And let's strive after maturity. Let's be a transformational community. Let's impact the people God's placed in us. Let's live life on the front lines. And let's worship in spirit and in truth. So let's go ahead and stand up.